Hello everyone, Oscar Ortiz here, principal of Nolan Catholic High School and host of the Esto Dukes podcast, a series of monthly interviews with some of the most outstanding leaders of our Fort Worth community. And on this beautiful but also very chilly Texas morning, I have the amazing honor to interview not only a great leader that is making a positive difference in the lives of thousands of uh, people in the Diocese of Fort Worth, but it's also what I would consider uh, leading the charge in education reform from the status quo towards an authentic Catholic classical liberal arts tradition. I'm talking of none other than Bishop Michael Olson. Welcome uh, to the podcast, and thank you for sharing with us some of your time, Bishop oh, Olson. I'm very happy to that you're very complimentary, <laughs> but I'm very happy to be here with you and for Nolan and with all of our people who join us through this podcast. Wonderful, wonderful. So a uh, quick, easy question, and I think a lot of our listeners are going to be wondering is, what is the appropriate way to address a bishop? Is it your honor? Is it your excellency? Is it your holiness? I just like Bishop Olson. Bishop Olson. It seems to be simple. Fantastic. Yeah, so that's fine. Thank you for asking. Sure. And Bishop Olson, were you born in Texas? No, I wasn't. You know, it's like the old saying, but I got here as soon as I could. Right? <laughs> Uh, I was born in Park Ridge, Illinois, mm. but I was raised on the other side of the interstate in Des Plaines, Illinois. And so my family moved to Fort Worth in 1985. I was 19 and I had already started college at the seminary. Okay. And it took me about three years then to discern, to change, become a seminarian for the Diocese of Fort Worth and to leave uh, the Archdiocese of Chicago. Wow. Okay. So this this is, again, another question for most of our listeners who might not be familiar with how these things work within the Catholic Church. Uh, you don't have to be born in Texas to be a bishop of Texas then, oh, right? No. You, you... No, it's you're called, um, really, it's the Holy Father who appoints bishops. And obviously, with the assistance of many people, uh, you know, he can't possibly know everybody and, and all of that. But through the press, so the Holy Father is the one who appoints all of the bishops in the Catholic Church. And so he appointed me, Pope Francis did. I received the phone call in November of, nine, of 2013. A phone call to your... To me. To me. Directly. Yes. From the nuncio, who is the Pope's representative in the country at the time. And so he told me I was appointed. Wow. And then I said yes, and uh, so which was kind of unique in some ways. It was unique for me anyway, mm -hmm. any experience. But I was a priest of the Diocese of Fort Worth, so I'd served in Fort Worth. It seems to have been the practice that bishops are chosen from priests in other areas, and then they're brought to a diocese. But in my case, I was asked to be the bishop of my own diocese. Were you anticipating that phone call, or was it a surprise to you, or...? I was not anticipating that call at all. I, he left a message. I called him back. And then after praying about it, just because I figured I don't get a call from the nuncio every day, even as a bishop, you don't get a call from the nuncio every day. And it's not something I would look forward to either, you know, just in <laughs> principle. But I called him back. And that's when he told me that the Pope had appointed me mm. to be the bishop of Fort Worth. Wow. Wow. And, I said yes. Excellent. So here's a personal question for me, because um, I know that you do a lot of work with the Latino community here in Fort Worth so, and the Hispanics here. Uh, did he 
ask you to become the bishop in Spanish or in English or in Italian? How well, was that? <laughs> he asked me in English. In English. It was the nuncio at the time asked mm-hmm. me in English. When I've had the meetings with the Pope, which have been really four, including the meeting he had with all of the Texas bishops, much of the conversation usually is in Spanish. Mm-hmm. I, I speak Spanish in respect to his office. That's his native language, really. Mm-hmm. And he speaks, uh, some of his Spanish has an Italian cadence to it. Mm-hmm. His English, he struggles with, with it, but it's improved over nine years. I mean, he's he understands a lot more. You can tell in a conversation, but yeah, usually we speak Spanish. Okay. So I can't wait to talk to you about education, Bishop Olson, because um, as a principal, what what I've seen over the last 10 years working in the field of education is that our children are lacking what I would call a a moral imagination or a Christian, a, a good Christian imagination. Are you seeing the same things or are you? Yeah, I do. I think there's an enormous need for imagination, just human imagination, mm. because I think what's what's really the remnant of modern society, what's left of it, is uh, that the moderns in philosophy really wanted to get rid of imagination, mm. uh, and in a sense to, for political purposes, that it would be easier to govern uh, massive groups of individuals. And so the, the denominator, common denominator has been lowered. And mm-hmm. so I think social media in many ways has advanced that because it's reduced perspective to the screen size of a, of a phone. Mm-hmm. And so you lose things like perspective, light, the, the things that are essential to art. Mm-hmm. You, you lose a perspective of that just as you lose perspective and context in literature mm-hmm. and these things. And so it's really affected our whole way of living in mm-hmm. society. First, it's affected the family, then it's affected our civil discourse. It's made us a lot more coarse mm-hmm. and disrespectful. And I think education really has to take the stand there. The culture is affected most, and the church has always known this through education, mm-hmm. right? In an education within a tradition mm-hmm. that's not just indoctrination. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I ask is because for us, I, I would consider myself a modern simply because it was born on this side of the, right, right of right. of all of the changes that happened in education. But it's difficult for us to understand how a vocation to the priesthood happens in a modern world and. Children would seem, or at least prior to all the changes that happened in education, it would seem a lot easier for us to understand with a, with a good Christian or moral imagination to understand that there is such a thing as a calling and an invisible world mm-hmm. that is yearning or pulling at your heart. Oh, I think so. It, it's mm-hmm. fortunately, you know, that's ultimately responsible to God um, and he's omnipotent and omniscient, uh, but, but the human means by which a vocation is conveyed. And I think this is also true of the vocation to marriage, vocation mm-hmm. in family life, and the vocation just in any type of form of service in the world. The challenge is in, in our contemporary time is that people are primarily only in relationship with those whom they choose to be. Mm-hmm. And so our chief understanding of relationship mm-hmm is transactional 
mm-hmm. like a contract, even in marriage, mm-hmm. you know, even within family life. And so there's been the practice, especially in the last 20 years of trying to form community online, which is really, you know, the primacy of the individual, where it's individual demands and needs mm. uh, is what tries to govern that kind of community when precisely community is really formed in the sense of generosity and relationship where those who are entrusted with more authority, those who are more powerful, are really at the service of, of the weaker. Mm. And I think that's, that's at the heart. Well, you, you can only hear a call in light of relationship. Yes. And relationship that is part of a community into which you're given, mm-hmm. not just simply that you form. Yes. And and I think that's that's the challenge. And that's why I think education, Catholic education, is not only directed at the individual child, but the indi- individual child and his or her family. Mm-hmm. Right. Beautiful. Particularly the parents, mother and father, that are given to them even with all of the fragmented relationships that are within marriage today, precisely, mm-hmm. and where so many people have suffered because of that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's that's where education and Catholic education particularly is a work of evangelization, of spreading the gospel Wonderful. of faith and reason. So Bishop Olson, would you, for our listeners who are discerning or some of our high schoolers who um, might not even know or be aware that there, there is that yearning in their hearts, mm-hmm. uh, when did you know exactly that you were called to the mm-hmm. priesthood? And would you say your education in large part uh, helped you be aware of that or was it in spite of your education? Where would you fall on that? That's a very good question. It's a challenging question to answer. You know, we just talked about getting a call on the phone from the Pope's representative. Well, that to describe my call to the episcopacy, my call to the priesthood was nothing like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a sense, it's not so immediate, yes or no, but a series of invitations, a series of moments of awareness mm-hmm. and of, of saying yes over a period of time. It's an ongoing yes, and it's a daily yes. I would say the first example, my parents were a very good example of that. My father's not Catholic, my mother is, but I think in, as, as they live their married life, their dedication, not just to mm-hmm. each other and to us, but also service was a part of our, uh, of our family life. So like anything from helping with food baskets at Thanksgiving time in our parish is to being generous that way. I think also, there was a sense that God did exist, and God not only existed, but he matters, and he's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. So I think that was driven home for me in our experiences. I had an older sister who died in childhood when I was very mm-hmm. young. And so there was a sense that this world is not all there is, all right, that there's also faith and hope amidst grief mm-hmm. and mourning. And I think that helped make me more aware of the divine wow. all right in a, in a good way and then there was the example of the sisters parish priests in my grade school i think one of the things that was really exhibited by the sisters especially was service and a happiness of life in helping people mm-hmm. and being of service to people in very fundamental and important ways but not glamorous ways mm-hmm. You know, and I think that example of the sisters really, I said, 
you know, I, I can remember experiences where I saw kindness exhibited not only to myself, but to other classmates who were in need. And I, and I went, oh, they really believe this. Mm-hmm. And they they believe it in a way to give their whole lives wow, to, to Jesus. And that, that to me, I think those inform my imagination. Yes. As well as, you know, the literature, very much school, but the interaction with teachers, mm-hmm. my mother, my father, my sisters, and my classmates. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, what you're describing, Bishop, again, sounds like the the imagination of a child starts to be developed at home with the family, and it's the, the parent's role and responsibility to give the child a way of seeing the world in which we're not only here in a material way, but there's also meaning and truth that can be had through the physical world. Oh, yes, very much so. I think parents are absolutely both each the mother and the father are absolutely indispensable mm-hmm. for the formation in both the way that they are present and the way they are absent to their children and there's good in both being present and being absent in the right way because that's key to being socialized mm-hmm. it's not entirely on parents i mean they don't take the place of god Mm -hmm. and they don't take the place of their children's peers parents though have a responsibility of at least placing children in a good atmosphere that can help to inform their choices and decisions Mm -hmm. you know and, and the accountability of those decisions in a gradual developmental way that fits their age in what's required today to live not just successfully, but happily and morally in, within society. What do we bring to the neighborhood, so to yes. speak? What do we bring to the greater community? Mm-hmm. Uh, Bishop Olson, I have three little children, yeah. as, you, as you're aware. Yeah. And uh, whenever we read fairy tales or folk tales or just stories, uh, one of the questions that they'll bring up often is, uh, Papa, is this a good person? Right, when we're talking about a character in the story, or is this a bad one? Which has made me realize that I'm I'm not just providing for their physical needs, but again, I'm providing that mental furniture, or what we're calling the uh, imagination, for them to be able to see the world through and derive meaning from it, or or understand the meaning behind it. The most recent example I can think of in our culture where that is happening is probably Star Wars with the idea of a good and evil force or uh, parents who raise their children reading tokens, uh, Lord of the Rings or C.S. Lewis. How can a school, a Catholic school, help continue to expose children to a moral imagination that will give meaning to their lives and make the idea of priesthood, for example, something that we're more familiar with, something that we are closer with? Well, I I think literature and rudimentary philosophy Mm -hmm. that show that there is such a thing as good and evil, Mm -hmm. all right? And that human beings, while we cannot control our future, we can shape our future, help to shape it by the decisions we make and decisions that follow up with actions. Mm -hmm. I I have a saying, you know, facts are friendly. All right, in a sense that those are verifiable, all right, and in a sense they are, they're formative more than feelings. Mm-hmm. I think that narratives, the contemporary world is just driven on narrative, whether it's true or not doesn't matter, mm-hmm. right, to the contemporary world. But 
we have a tradition of narrative. We have the narrative of the Gospels. Uh, we have the narrative of the lives of the saints, but we also have the narrative of an intellectual tradition, yeah. all right, where evil is depicted and it's understood as evil yes. and as destructive and good is depicted and it's understood as not easy and yet somehow being really contingent on a greater good, which ultimately mm -hmm. we understand as Catholics to be God mm -hmm. himself and not we're not alone in that. I think the importance of literature right now is so important mm -hmm. because what is left in society, at least, is story, all right? I mean, it's what's your story? And unfortunately, there's just a lot of stories out there that aren't true, mm -hmm. but it fits a good narrative. And, and I think if we teach literature well, we, we can help others to understand that the truth does matter, all right, yes. and for our happiness yes. and for a flourishing society. And it ultimately lies and untruths uh, and partial truths lead to, to our destruction and our demise mm -hmm. in this world. Yes. I'm always impressed, and as you know, Bishop Olson, we are exposing our students at Nolan Catholic High School to a lot of the great classics, in particular some of the philosophic classics. You were mentioning earlier that philosophic upbringing, and to the ancients, it seems very clear, ancient philosophers and thinkers, that education played a greater role than just to give a child a career or give a child a, a prosperous life. Uh, Financially, I mean, in your mind, when do we lose that idea of education and how do we shift away from the idea that we're shaping the, the heart and the soul of a child and we're in pursuit of wisdom and ultimately salvation to kind of more of a utilitarian way of thinking of things. So transactional is the word you used right. earlier. Yes. Right. Well, that, that's a very good question. I'm not so sure you can pinpoint a place in history. Mm -hmm. I think the church has always had that struggle, certainly in the church in this country, mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to education. I mean, we've had to fight for the right to have our schools mm -hmm. um, and and to see that uh, education of the young is a, an apostolate and an essential service for the good of the community. I think as a nation, when we started to move away from some of the immaterial dimensions of the common good, like art, that we could basically tell good art from bad art, or from or art from spectacle, then in a basic good of philosophy that understands life is a good thing. And when those fundamental principles were not just called into a question, but in a sense were deconstructed, then there's not much left to go on. And so for a while, we've been able to run in our nation on a residue of not just a, a Christian viewpoint, but I'd say a realist viewpoint that understands there, that things exist and other things don't exist. There's good and there's evil of some level of objectivity. But that residue is now kind of spun out, as we can see in, in our society. And so, but while that residue remained, you could still do commerce because it seemed to be a common denominator among human beings. Uh, it's sort of the material aspects of the common good, things that can be quantified, you know, divided, added. But even now that's, you know, with cryptocurrency and all of the other things that are going on, 
people are finding that that's not given them security, all right? And so I think that's when our education became skills training and also some of our schools usurped and I mean, Catholic schools in here, though I'm sure you could find examples of this, the primary responsibilities of mothers and fathers, you know, as far as disciplining children that fell to school, mm-hmm. um, feeding, ed- you know, providing meals, uh, discipline, the entire social nexus of a young person's life is school. And they interact with their mothers and fathers like peers or friends. I think that's been a big part of this, where we think of the family as just an aggregate of individuals with private interests. I mean, even if we presume that, I mean, uh, you look at the demands on time of individuals and families today, and, and that really is based on the sense that we're all just individuals and we all happen to have a shared interest. But family life is much more spiritual, transcendental, and immaterial than that. Bishop Olson, I've been following you for some time now. Oh. <laughs> you strike me as, and the way I would describe it, uh, sometimes to my own families and friends, is that you are the education bishop. Oh boy! And <laughs> I want you to speak to um, the special relationship that you have here in the diocese towards the uh, schools. There's about 17 schools. Uh, in particular, uh, Nolan Catholic is a diocesan school. Right. Do you mind speaking to that and, and explaining what are those differences? Well, I think for any bishop, Catholic education really is a responsibility of evangelization mm-hmm. to foster among families and among our young people so that they can understand the faith and be able to articulate it not as just a private area in their life, but really of what brings meaning to everything you experience and come to know. And so I think uh, our schools are absolutely essential for having an influence on the culture that's beyond ideology, Mm -hmm. but that helps people to move beyond a sectarian approach to politics, which is just destroying us, moves beyond simply selfish interest as far as how we understand happiness in life with schools catholic schools particularly in the ministry of catholic schools are you actually have to be in a room listen ask questions with people who have a fundamental agreement on first principles however how they get to them is different can be in a different language people who look different than I do, but have a, a fundamental grounding on which they come to know each other and, and then return home with those questions. And so it helps us to form parents to be good fathers and good mothers, as well as good husbands and, and wives. Education, so I, I think as a diocesan school, in other words, in a sense, the, the direct oversight falls to me as the bishop, or indirect, I should say, the ultimate oversight. You as principal and the president and the faculty, everybody shares oversight. But I uh, ultimately, for diocesan school, it falls to me just to make sure that everything is accountable. Schools that have, that are in a sense, are the, the apostolate of a religious order would have a different relationship with the bishop and that, but still ultimately the bishop's responsible for Catholic mission and identity, but the religious order's charism really imbues it. Now in the Diocese of Fort Worth, 
Uh, we really don't have any schools that are overseen by a religious order directly. The, the one that's not technically a diocesan school and is not is uh, Cristo Rey. But even that, the diocese is the religious sponsor of that school, like a religious order would be another. It's not a business. Mm -hmm. See, education has become a business. And that's the transactional model again. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to see this in the next several years with the closing of small colleges, that the absolute burden financially that's upon them, that they can't, if you will, market themselves online or market themselves as a university. Uh, even the word marketing seems somehow to be averse mm -hmm. to education, at least my say. I think of it more as missioning. Mm -hmm. Really, you know, institutions for the church, and this is the challenge I think that the Pope has identified for us all, but particularly for bishops, is that an institution that only looks inside itself is sick. So we have to look outward beyond ourselves. And the mission has to drive the institution. Mm -hmm. The institution can't drive the mission. So what, what do I mean by that? Well, there, there are Catholic institutions right now that are faced with decisions given what society is like right now and what our responsibility to bring the gospel to society is looking like is that a decision between making kind of our Catholic identity a mascot, so to speak, that's not really effective of how and what we do things, mm -hmm. or is it really the driving force, especially to educate those who otherwise don't have access to sound education. Yeah. And it's the same with Catholic healthcare. And it's, mm -hmm. it's a difficult and painful decision, but it's worth the pain because if we just acquiesce and reduce identity just simply to a letterhead, we're gonna be further lost than anybody else. Yes. Talking about sound education, there's been a lot of interest um, in the secular world for a classical liberal arts education. And I know that uh, here at the Diocese of Fort Worth, there's been a uh, work in that regard. Uh, could you, to, for your listeners to understand better, uh, how do you speak about classical education or classical liberal arts education and what's that look like for the diocese? I think right now in our contemporary society in the United States, uh, there are two main catalysts that are drawing people's attention, parents particularly, to classical education. One is based in fear, and the other should be based in hope. And for our Catholic embrace, of the intellectual tradition, which is now known classical education, which frankly, it's just education in my book. Yes. I mean, where you come to know things and come to some sense of freedom, yes. you're led forth to freedom, liberal, free education, led out of darkness. That should be hopeful. And in a way of articulating the truth, there is, I think, because of COVID and because of all of a sudden, a new awareness of the ideologies that have really dominated so much of contemporary education, even now to the elementary level, people are frightened. And we have to 
face our fear with courage and that that helps us you know courage is a virtue that sustains the virtue of hope so we can't act out of our fears we have to act with hope and and not react to what scares us there are things that are frightening all right violence against children is frightening uh the the ideologies today of of the left and even the right are frightening but fear is useless what we we need is trust in god and hope in in a tried tradition uh, of the dignity of the human person that's not just an abstract concept but of each human being that we encounter and i think that really has to be what lights our way in education and in classical education otherwise we're, we're teaching only formulas where in a sense i think we dumb down our our children that they're not ready to live the basic but very real demands mm-hmm. of responsibilities of human life mm-hmm. adult human life yes, yes. Uh, bishop olson you work closely with the conference of bishops the united states conference of bishops and the texas conference of bishops obviously are they in line do you do you all share the same view of education as it is now and moving towards uh, what you're doing here or is it perceived as a battle is what i'm asking or is it more hopeful than that as you're describing right now it's a conference of bishops and i always say you know if if you've met one member of the united states catholic conference of bishops you've met one member of the united <laughs> states catholic conference of bishops in a sense each bishop in a sense is responsible for his diocese and we work in conference to discuss shared approaches and some first principles that we stand on and what what is a basic direction that we can go in knowing that the circumstances in fort worth texas look different than the circumstances in detroit michigan Mm -hmm. and for for a variety of reasons I, i do think though i would say that all of the bishops are aware that education is absolutely an essential good mm-hmm. as it's how we come to know the truth i think that uh, there's a basic sense of a desire to engage the contemporary world not to if you will circle the wagons right so to speak to use maybe a, a dated metaphor but in a sense not to take a closed view to the world see the catholic tradition is of faith and reason and spiritually too is we find the biggest mess there is and we put ourselves right in the middle of it with the light of reason and the light of faith that's really an authentic catholic approach because we have the confidence in the gospel and that's where god is sending us and it's not to run and hide even sometimes suffering persecution because of that. I think that we can lose sight of that and give into our fears as well. That's why the more that we can come together, most especially for the celebration of mass, but even coming together in person for education builds up a sense of solidarity mm-hmm. and not just uniformity, right? And, and so, we're all aware of that how each of us is approaching that it really is contingent on our particular diocese the big challenge right now I think the bishops I think are really becoming aware of is in the contemporary the current administration an increasing hostility towards religious liberty Mm -hmm. and education 
and that hostility really being exhibited and attached to the title money. Yes. All right. Where, in other words, money that that we could have access to as citizens because our people pay taxes just as much as they're paying tuition for educating children. The agenda of the gender ideology, mm-hmm. the the LGBT ideology, and aspects of the woke ideology are really driving this mm-hmm. aggressively. You know, and so it's each bishop has to decide how mm-hmm. far they can go and what what they want to do with that. But yes. uh, the integrity of our education is not just subject matter; it's how we teach, yes. and especially when you're dealing with the vulnerability of children. And so, just given the stance of the government in contemporary times, uh, I think a healthy distance is best, you know, and that we really need to be highly judicious about anything we do take, because there's always, if somebody's giving you money, that's an investment, all right? And, And with an investment, they have their expectations of it. Well, there are many expectations now that are being attached to this title money that we can't meet yes. and be ourselves. So we won't take it because I'm not going to be accountable for that. Mm-hmm. As a school leader, this is one of the reasons I went from working in the secular setting to working within the church. I'd, I'd like to uh, wrap up the conversation sure. by summarizing some of the things we've discussing. And we've talked about the, uh, the Catholic moral imagination of children. We've talked about the liberal arts, uh, classical education. To summarize, for our parents, could you quickly speak, Bishop Olson, towards the importance of a Catholic education, especially in our day and age, the, our, our secular time that we live in? Oh, certainly. To do so is not just to sort of uh, say, you know, we believe in brand loyalty, but really a Catholic education is universal. It respects the integrity of each intellectual discipline based and judges it according to its first principle. So that theology has different first principle than science. And ultimately it's all true, but you judge each area, each area or discipline by its first principle. Ultimately, the openness to an understanding that God not only is is existing, but actually cares about us and cares enough about us that he sent his son, that humanity is a good thing. The human person is a good thing. Human nature is a wonderful thing, precisely then because each person's created in God's image and likeness. And that animates everything that is true, good, and beautiful in how we treat each other and in the accountability that we have to really grow into and be formed in. Uh, I think a Catholic education is very respectful of that, but also is especially mindful and it has been renewed on our responsibility to be mindful for the vulnerable, mm-hmm. uh, to keep the smallest among us safe, In Catholic schools, we work very hard at that and work as a team to do just that. Everybody has a responsibility for that. And I would say that that's an important aspect of Catholic education. I I had a lady, this conversation went on in Spanish, but she said, thank you very much for the security. She said when she drops her child off at school, it's one of our elementary schools, that she goes to each corner of the, the grounds, the campus, and says a prayer for protection. Wow. 
And she said she was very grateful that we had security because people are afraid right now today for their children, uh, their physical integrity, their very lives, and also their emotional and intellectual integrity. And I think the church has a responsibility to offer that security mm-hmm. and be accountable for it. Absolutely. Can I get a last, some last few words towards teachers now? Oh, please pray for gratitude for your vocation. Teaching is the most important way you can affect and influence the world, especially teaching young children. And it is wrong that our society doesn't value teachers the way they should, the way they value other people who deal in uh, physical commodities. But I think especially the Catholic school teachers, your faculty, especially who who give so much of themselves Mm -hmm. and try to exemplify a selfless life dedicated to the higher goods that are immaterial and not marketable in a a world that is always consumeristic and do so out of love for God and love for their students, love for their families, and that their, their reward is great. Mm-hmm. you know so thank you thank you so much bishop olson i think our, our students who will be listening to this podcast would probably also want some uh, wisdom guidance and insight is there is there one thing in particular a book that you think our high schoolers should be reading or a, or a practice that our students should be doing every day they don't always see the grander uh, scheme of things, they they just see themselves in the immediate moment with an immediate rule and possibly breaking that rule and just the consequences. Right. So uh, any words of wisdom in regards to that? Well, fundamentally, a school is really judged on the quality of its students. Please, students, I'm talking to you, understand that you're responsible for the, the school in which you study. I mean, how you live your lives, how you respect each other, how you treat each other and encourage each other is so important. It's the best representation of why Catholic education is good. So you are very much responsible and you are very much a reason for why a school has a good reputation or not. And so especially be accountable uh, and be considerate, especially in the areas of race, of language, of gender, uh, of how you respect each other, because friendship is just as much established on respect as it is on love. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Bishop Olson, for giving us some time. Thank you. Um, This was wonderful, and we're honored to to be able to uh, record you here for a podcast. I understand that you were just filmed for a uh, series called The Chair. Is that right? Right. uh, If our listeners would like to come uh, learn more about you and and find you, where would that be? Well, I I hate to direct people to online. Go to to the (laughs) website of the diocese. There we go. And it's a, a series known as The Chair. I think it's put out by Catholic television in Brooklyn somewhere. Brooklyn, okay. I think there's a, they're trying to interview all of the bishops and show, show it. What I like about this is it really gives a good history of the diocese right. in, in a very concise, understandable way. So, 
you, know, you can fast forward through the stuff about me. So anyway, <laughs> but thank you very much. Thank you, sir. And we're going to go ahead and link the, the website of the diocese to this podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. I look forward to more podcasts in the future. Make sure to follow us and share this podcast with your friends and family. Have a blessed day. Thank you.